Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio Show. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, founder of Alzheimer's Speaks Resource website, blog, and now the radio show. My passion is to educate the world about Alzheimer's and memory loss, and that came to me through my mother's 30-year journey with dementia. For those of you that are new to the show, I just want to give you a brief introduction before we get started. Our goal here is to give voice to those afflicted with memory loss and empower them to live purpose-filled lives. We want to raise awareness, give hope, and share the real, everyday life stories of living with Alzheimer's disease. Rick Phelps is our channel expert who actually has Alzheimer's disease, and I never know if Rick will be able to make it with us on the show or not. If so, I will definitely pull him in. Um, As a reminder, Rick is the founder of Memory People, which is a closed group on Facebook, um, which I highly suggest people check out. It's a social support group um, in live time with a large following all over the world. So there are people with early memory loss, Um, personal caregivers as well as professional caregivers, um, advocates at large, and then just people um, who really want to share and help. There's no pitching or sales, so you don't have to worry about that. But if you have a question at 3 in the morning, um, you can get up there and typically connect with somebody. So again, it's just called Memory People, and you just put that in your search bar on Facebook and then ask to be part of that group. On the home page of our radio show, you'll also find links where you can contact either myself directly or Rick, and either of us would be glad to field any questions or comments that you may have, or maybe you think you might be an appropriate guest. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments during this show, this is um, a base that we want, and we would love to pull you in. So there is a chat box if you are listening via your computer or Internet, and just feel to feel free to write your question or comment there. I'll be checking those as we go. The other thing you can always do is call in live. And the number to call in live is 714-364-4757. Again, that's 714-364-4757. And if you want to ask a question or make a comment, you have to push one to get into my queue so I know that you're there. And it may be a while because I need to, um, you know, wait for a, a, a normal break in our conversation here. But definitely we, we love the participation and, and encourage you to do so. So today's show, I'm very excited. We have um, a renowned researcher with us. Dr. William Fry II, and he is the director of the Alzheimer's Research Center at Regents Hospital in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, The research center is something he started back in 1977. He is also a a professor of um, the pharmaceutical um, and faculty member in neurology, um, oral biology and neuroscience at the University of Minnesota, and he works um, heavily consulting with the pharmaceutical and um, biotechnical um, industry. Um, he is—he has patents, and he is just—he's done some really cool things, and he's—he's he's on some edge of some some very cutting, cutting work. And I can't wait uh, to have Dr. Fry explain a little bit more of 
who he is, what he's about, how he's gotten involved with everything he's doing, and to really talk to us about his non-evasive internasal method. Um, so, Dr. Fry, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, and thanks, Lori, for uh, having me on the show. Well, good. Well, we are all very excited to hear what all you have to say. I mean, you have been in the industry so long, and you really have cut the edge um, uh, in leading the pack in terms of insights of where to go with this disease. But before we get into that, I just always like to ask um, every guest if they've had a personal experience um, with Alzheimer's disease in terms of maybe a family member or friend. It's just always nice to know um, if that is uh, a personal uh, spot in your heart or, you know, what made you go down this path. Well, Lori, um, uh, actually, I've had, I, I wished I hadn't had quite as much experience as I have had, but I've had a lot. Um, my uh, father passed away last year from Alzheimer's. Uh, he also had uh, Parkinson's, uh, and he also had some uh, dementia due to stroke. So he had a number of uh, these kinds of diseases going on for a number of years. Uh, on my mother's side, my grandmother died from Alzheimer's, and she was one of ten brothers and sisters, nine of whom had dementing illness. So I have a pretty uh, long family history, and I still have uh, my mother's sister living uh, in a nursing home who also has a dementing illness. So I've got quite a bit of family history, and of course I've also uh, had uh, friends or parents of friends who've died. Wow, wow, you have definitely been touched by this disease. Now, it was, you know, back quite a while ago in 77 when you um, started the research center. And I know, you know, back then there really wasn't much talk, anyways, in the public eye regarding Alzheimer's disease. What led you down that path? Well, you know, I um, was uh, uh, I was trained as a biochemist and uh, was very interested in what was going on in the brain in general. And this actually happened before uh, I got into Alzheimer's disease, before um, I realized that there was a family history really in the family. Uh, and... Um, I was approached by two physicians who had studied the uh, genetics of Alzheimer's disease. They were some of the first uh, researchers uh, back then to report on this, and they recognized that uh, we really didn't know very much in the early 70s about what was going on in the brain in, uh, brains of people with Alzheimer's. And so they asked me if I would be interested in getting involved in this and starting a program, and I was, and I wrote to the National Institutes of Health and uh, immediately had a grant funded, and that pretty much started uh, me on the road to where I am today. Wow, that's that's amazing. Well, thank you for your journey, because we, we all very much appreciate everything that you are you are doing and exploring for us. Can you tell us a little bit more of um, maybe a little history of, you know, where you're at? And I had just briefly touched on some patents. I really want you to kind of talk on um, where you've been with this disease as far as a researcher, uh, where things are at now, and where you see things going. 
Well, um, where, uh, where, how we got to where we are was really um, that we began to look first at what was wrong in the patients, in the brains of patients with Alzheimer's disease. And uh, once we started to understand that, then we started to, and, and I can talk about that too, we decided to uh, uh, see how we could deliver therapeutics to the brain that really would um, be helpful for patients with Alzheimer's disease. And we came to the realization, uh, very, I came to the realization very early on that the problem with developing treatments for Alzheimer's was not so much that we didn't have the drugs for treating Alzheimer's, but rather that we didn't have a good way of getting those drugs into the brain. So the brain is basically protected by a barrier called the blood-brain barrier. And, uh, you know, when you eat food or you drink something or you take pills or you get a shot uh, or you're exposed to things in the environment, uh, those things, when they get into your bloodstream, can go to pretty much all the organs in your body, uh, except for the brain. Because the brain is so important, it is protected by this special blood-brain barrier, which only allows very small uh, molecules or chemicals uh, that are fat-soluble to go inside through the barrier to the brain in order to protect the brain from things that might be uh, toxic. Of course, the brain controls all the other organs. It controls our breathing, our heartbeat, uh, it, not just our thinking and our feelings. And so this... Um, protective barrier evolved. The problem is that uh, that same protective barrier makes it very difficult to get into the brain drugs and ther natural therapeutic proteins and other things that could be very helpful for treating things like Alzheimer's or stroke or brain tumors, Parkinson's, uh, ALS, etc. And so uh, Many years ago, when we were trying to do clinical trials, it became clear to me that, as I say, the problem was how do we get these drugs in the brain? And I was in the middle of a clinical trial with a physician, who, a neurologist who I had hired, uh, and it became clear to us that, like in other trials, the drug we were testing wasn't really getting into the brain. And I went to sleep one night very frustrated about this, um, and I had a dream, and this was in 1989, uh, and I dreamed that I was arguing with other researchers and physicians. Uh, I'm not a physician myself, but I dreamed that I was arguing with them about how to treat Alzheimer's. And I was saying that the way to treat Alzheimer's is to deliver natural proteins that the body makes that can protect brain cells from degeneration and help them to repair themselves. And these, are, these kinds of natural therapeutic proteins are too big and too charged to cross this barrier. And they were saying it to me in the dream, well, it's not going to work. And I remember saying, well, it would work if we could find a way to get these natural uh, nerve growth factors into the brain. And that's when this idea came to me uh, at the end of the dream, uh, that perhaps we could solve this problem if we would deliver these therapeutics intranasally as a nasal spray or nose drops. And the idea 
came to me because I knew that going way back to the early 1900s, it had been shown that harmful things could go into the brain from the nose. For example, certain viruses that get in your nose can travel up the nerves involved in smell into the brain. It was known that people who swam in polluted waters in Africa or sometimes even in uh, in polluted lakes in the United States, sometimes these people died of amoebic infection of the brain. And the reason was the polluted water would get in their nose and the amoebas would find their way up into the brain along these nerve pathways. So, And heavy metals, things that were bad for you in the environment, were shown to go in the brain. So it simply hit me, this very simple idea, uh, in the at the end of the dream was, well, if bad things can go into the brain this way, why can't good things? And I woke up and immediately went to work uh, on testing that. And over the years, we found that, that this is a way, a new way to get drugs into the brain. And that has led us to develop some of the treatments that we have that have been shown in clinical trials to improve memory, et cetera. Wow. Interesting. If we just listen to our intuition and see where it leads us sometimes. I mean, because, you know, you could have easily ignored that inner voice that told you that dream of what to do. And and here you are leading the pack um, with Alzheimer's research. That's just fascinating. Absolutely you're you're fascinating. quite right that it is important to listen to your intuition. And, you know, it would have been easy to ignore. Um, certainly after I got the idea, the, a number of the funding agencies like the Alzheimer's Association and the National Institutes of Health, they certainly ignored the idea when I came to them and asked for funding uh, to test this idea and to develop it. In fact, they thought that I was a little bit off, I think, uh, at first. Uh, You know, they just couldn't imagine that if the body had developed over centuries this barrier to protect the brain, that there might be some very simple way to get around it. In fact, I remember the grant reviewers, when I would uh, uh, propose studies and ask for funding, would say, you know, why, how could there possibly be some that simple, how could it be that simple if the barrier is there to protect the brain, why would there be this other route from the nose going into the brain? And that really prevented them for more than a decade from funding these studies. But we we persisted. Uh, Fortunately, even though we didn't get money from the Alzheimer's Association or from the National Institutes of Health, we got money from donors and we got money from uh, drug companies, believe it or not, uh, that did think that this made sense, and, uh, and of course, now uh, the scientific community has come to accept what we were saying all those years ago, and many, many researchers in Brazil and Spain and uh, Germany and Italy and Japan and China and all over the world are now using this intranasal method that we developed uh, to develop new treatments for uh, brain disorders. Wow. You know, I, um, I'm i very much into the whole intuition thing, and that's pretty much led me on my path with this whole Alzheimer's journey with my mom. And I know it doesn't make sense to a lot of people, but for me, um, what I am doing with the radio show and my training and education resource website, 
um, A, I just love it and I'm passionate about it, um, but I, I cannot not do it. I mean, that's where I am at the point. And it might not be a rational shift for uh, for some, but I think, you know, to me, when I listen to the voice um, of my intuition, it is much simpler than, than what we all believe. It doesn't have to be nearly as complicated as we make it on how to deal it, with it. It doesn't. Uh, and, you know, it's funny. I, I can look back, um, you know, I'm 64 now, but I can look back to my early childhood and I can see exactly how I came to be the way I was. You know, my father uh, was an, a, a very academic person, a very smart person. He skipped two grades before college. He graduated at the top of his class at Washington University. He was also at the top of his law school class. You know, he ran five companies, but he was a very academic, academically intelligent person. My mother, on the other hand, uh, didn't really like college. She didn't finish college, but she was totally a, an intuitive person, and she could figure things out uh, very, very quickly. She could see she she had a way of of interacting with people and of looking at situations and intuitively uh coming up with uh, new ideas she was quite creative and fortunately i i really feel that i got uh, a little bit from each of my parents uh i was never as good in school as my father or as my younger brother uh who you know was the star student from the state of georgia and went to harvard and all that but I also got a lot of the intuitive uh, abilities from my mother, and I think that that, in the end, turned out to be the most important. Yeah, I I agree. And I, I think that, especially in this day and age, when budgets are tight and staff is short, we have got to get creative and think out of the box, and we have to stop using the doom and gloom and yep. um, fear factor to push people and really look for hope and compassion and right. working collaboratively together because I don't think any of us can make no. this change alone. That's so All important. Yeah, that is so important. And I, I think, you know, we are a very collaborative uh, research center. Of course, we are part of a nonprofit uh, research foundation. And uh, but we collaborate with people literally all over the world. We have about 30 collaborations that are active right now, uh, and that doesn't count the collaborations we have with the pharmaceutical industry, uh, which is also obviously important because if we're ever going to develop a treatment and get it out there, uh, it's going to take a pharmaceutical company to take that treatment through the FDA, which is a very expensive process, and then actually develop and market the the treatment itself. Interesting. Well, before we um, go down this path a little too far, we should. I, I want to have you just uh, for our listeners talk about Alzheimer's disease and how it's diagnosed and distinguished from other dementias, and then we'll really kind of get into your research as a sure. whole and um, find out if there's any trials you're doing and how people can. <laughs> can help support you and um, and move forward, okay? Sure. So, well, you know, that is a, an important thing is really what is Alzheimer's disease. And, you know, um, unfortunately, a lot of the uh, people in our society, uh, you have to realize, first of all, that, that people are living longer. 
You know, in the year 1900, the life expectancy for women was only 50 years of age. So it was really uh, not that common for people to develop Alzheimer's disease in the year 1900. In fact, the first time this disease was described was in 1906 by the German psychiatrist Alois Alzheimer. And he saw a woman who was 51 years old and described the disease that she had. And that was really the first description that, that was clearly there for identifying Alzheimer's disease. And uh, we know that, um, that most people don't get Alzheimer's until they're in their 60s, 70s, or 80s. Uh, and it's unusual. There are certainly early onset cases of people who get it when they're 50, but it's fairly rare. But now, of course, we're, we're no longer dying at 50 years of age. People are living uh, to be in their 90s, uh, in some cases even 100. And so we have a, a growing population of people who are experiencing memory loss, confusion, uh, disorientation, changes in personality, etc. Now, these symptoms are, are what are symptoms of what we think of as uh, often of as dementing illness uh, or dementia. But there are many things that can actually cause these symptoms, and it's not always Alzheimer's disease. So, for example, sometimes when people get older, they, their, their production of thyroid hormone decreases. And if that is not recognized by the physician, if they don't check for the blood level of thyroid hormone and, and, and correct that, then the person uh, will often develop memory disorder uh, and other symptoms. So that's a treatable form of uh, or cause for some of these dementia-like symptoms. Another thing that can happen is occasionally uh, we become B12 deficient. Vitamin B12 is very important. Uh, mostly we get it from red meat. Uh, calves liver is high in B12. But sometimes when people get older, their B12 level, level drops. And that also will cause you uh, to have a very poor memory. Uh, it can also make you lead to you being very tired and, and weak. Um, and that needs to be checked and needs to be corrected. And if, you are, if that's corrected with B12 shots, just like if your thyroid is corrected with a uh, Synthroid or some other medication, um, then you, you recover from that. It's a treatable cause. But probably the majority of people who have these symptoms, especially of short-term memory loss, um, disorientation and confusion, many of them will have a very particular disease called Alzheimer's. <clears throat> and that disease we know involves uh, a number of things. It involves uh, a, um, a brain deficiency, for example, of insulin. Uh, most people don't realize that, but uh, people with Alzheimer's essentially have something similar to diabetes of the brain. So that's very important. It involves an abnormal accumulation of iron in the brain. Of course, we all need iron. We need iron for our hemoglobin to help us carry oxygen. But if, if the body starts to malfunction and doesn't handle iron properly and you just accumulate free iron in your brain, uh, then this can lead to a great deal of brain damage because iron 
uh, when it's free, generates uh, oxidative stress and free radical damage and things of that nature. Another thing we know is that the chemical messenger for memory in people with Alzheimer's called acetylcholine can decrease, uh, and that contributes. And then, of course, there's the abnormal accumulation of proteins, certain proteins like amyloid and uh, uh, and, a, and a protein called phosphorylated tau. Both of these lead to the Alzheimer plaques and tangles, neurofibrillary tangles respectively, that are seen in the brains of Alzheimer patients after death. So, And these are just some of the problems. So it's a complicated disease, but it's important to, for people who have a relative to make sure they see uh, a neurologist uh, uh, or someone who's really expert in these diseases. Of course, we and in uh, Minnesota at the uh, Center for Dementia and Alzheimer Care, uh, we have a group of, of specialists. But but in every city, there in every big city, there probably are specialists uh, in, in, that are that really know how to distinguish Alzheimer's from the treatable forms as well as from other. Uh, causes, for example, sometimes people develop uh, dementia sometimes simply because they're having small strokes, or they may have a variant of Parkinson's disease that causes memory loss called Lewy body dementia. Uh, and there are other disorders. I, I'm not going to go into all of them. But uh, so getting a good diagnosis is really important. Definitely. Definitely so. And, um, you know, I have to appreciate uh, and, and state this to you. I really appreciate the fact that you talk a common language to us here on the show. So many um, researchers and, and doctors and um, professionals in this industry use so much logo that, you know, us everyday common people that are just struggling and not not in the academic background, um, I mean, we can understand what you're saying and, and the words that you're using. It, it makes very much sense. So you're you're communicating really well. And I, well, I, I just have to catch on the back because I appreciate that is that. not <laughs> always the case um, when, when I speak with people. And I, I just think that that is critical. Um, so thank you for kind of dumbing it down for all of us so that everybody well, and you know, I don't really feel that I, I don't feel that I'm dumbing it down at all. I feel that I am just simply trying to explain it in ways that people can understand it. I find that the average public, uh, the average average individual who's not a, a neurologist, who's not a neuroscientist, they're they're capable of understanding almost everything. And I think that sometimes people who use a lot of uh, low kind of uh, abbreviations and uh, scientific logo and stuff that just, you know, it's almost kind of a, a way of hiding what we don't know. Uh, I, mm -hmm. think, I think these things can be explained in ways that we can all understand them. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for doing so. Uh, why don't we get on to um, talking about um, your your intranasal spray and, and where sure. that is at right now. Sure. And, um, <laughs> So we, you know, I mentioned that uh, I developed this, <coughs> excuse me, this new way of delivering drugs to the brain by giving the drugs intranasally. And I've also mentioned that people with Alzheimer's have a brain deficiency of insulin. So now I want to explain to you how we have put these two observations together 
to come up with a new treatment that is being tested now in patients with the disease. So brain cells, it turns out, under most circumstances, get all of their energy only from blood sugar or glucose. And as most people know, in order for cells to take up blood sugar, you need insulin. And if you don't have enough insulin or insulin signaling, then you have diabetes. Well, it turns out that people with Alzheimer's have a very poor uptake and ability to utilize blood sugar or glucose. And it's been found that the reason for that is that they don't have enough insulin in their brains and they don't have enough insulin signaling in the brain. And therefore, the brain cells are unable to take up the blood sugar and they're starved for energy. And naturally, if your brain cells are starved for energy, you're not going to think and remember well. You're not going to have the energy to repair parts of your brain cells as they wear out. So this is a very important aspect of Alzheimer's disease. And since we know that not everyone, not everyone who has Alzheimer's has regular diabetes, either type 1 or type 2, that is, we could take a blood sample from a lot of Alzheimer patients and find out that their blood level of insulin was fine. Their blood level of blood sugar or glucose would be fine. That doesn't mean, though, that in the brain that they're not deficient in insulin and that they're not having a problem taking up blood sugar. So what we needed was a way to deliver insulin to the brain without delivering it into the bloodstream because if their blood sugar and insulin is normal, we don't want to mess that up. We just want to give the brain the insulin it's missing so that it, like the rest of the body, can take up blood sugar and have energy to function properly. So that's what this intranasal method allowed us to do. So way back in uh, 2001, actually, um, I, I had a patent issue about the use of intranasal insulin for treating Alzheimer's disease. Uh, Eventually, this patent was acquired by a drug company called Novartis. Uh, They're out of Switzerland, Um, and they acquired that from our nonprofit foundation. But unfortunately, because insulin is a generic drug and not a drug that um, companies feel they can make a lot of money off of, uh, I, for that and perhaps other reasons, uh, Novartis decided not to develop this treatment. So we had to go ahead and develop it ourselves. And so working with uh, other researchers in a collaboration, as I mentioned earlier, we don't try to do everything ourselves. Um, I actually met up with a, another researcher named Dr. Suzanne Kraft at the University of Washington. She's also at the VA there in Seattle. And um, working together uh, in 2006, we published the first intranasal insulin clinical trial where we gave insulin intranasally to people with Alzheimer's disease. And the first time we did this, we only gave them one dose. We used nose drops and we gave it to them. And then we uh, looked at their ability to remember uh, about 15 minutes after they received the insulin. And we were very excited to find that after only one single dose, the patients who got the insulin had improved memory. They could remember word lists better. They could remember story content better when they were compared to those that got nose drops that were really a placebo. They were just salt water. 
so that was really exciting uh, to find. And then in a second study, Dr. Kraft did uh, a three-week trial in Alzheimer patients where instead of just giving them one dose, she gave them two doses a day for three weeks, and she did it using, instead of drops, a nasal nebulizer. And that study showed not only did the intranasal insulin treatment improve their memory, but it also improved their ability to pay attention, and it improved their functional status. Obviously, another very good result. And in both of these studies, there was no change in the blood level of insulin or glucose because the insulin was going from the nose to the brain along these nerves involved in smell. These are the olfactory nerves, the trigeminal nerves, and it was not appreciably getting into the blood, at least not enough to change the blood levels, uh, which was good. That's what we wanted. And then just in September of this year, Dr. Kraft pu published yet another uh, intranasal insulin clinical trial. This time they went for four months of giving patients intranasal insulin. And once again, uh, she saw improved memory compared to the group that got the placebo. Uh, she also saw that the ability of the brain to take up blood sugar was more preserved in the patients who were being treated with the intranasal insulin than those that got the placebo. Now, this would be exciting enough, but at the same time, researchers in Germany, uh, some of whom I have recently published with, but they, completely independent of myself or Dr. Kraft, have conducted four different clinical trials giving intranasal insulin to normal, healthy young adults. So they were giving the insulin as a nasal spray to people that were 30 or 40 years of age that had nothing wrong with them. And they also reported in each of those four clinical trials that it actually improved their memory as well. So we have quite a few uh, what might be called phase two clinical trials that have been conducted both in Europe and in the United States now uh, testing this intranasal insulin method. And uh, in every case, they are finding that it helps to improve memory and they are not seeing uh, major adverse side effects. So this, is got a, this has us uh, obviously very excited and very encouraged. Now that doesn't mean that you can call up your doctor and say, you know, I want my mom or my dad to get this intranasal insulin treatment because the treatment is not yet approved by the FDA or by the European uh, regulatory agencies. It is still in the developmental stage. And in order to become approved, many more patients will have to be tested um, with the intranasal insulin and the regulatory agencies will have to be further convinced that not only is it effective, but also that it is safe. So there's a lot that needs to be done further on this. Well, it's very exciting. Holy cow. That is, is very, very exciting. Now, how can how can our audience help you as a researcher in terms of of you know pushing this forward? Is there is there anything that we can do as individuals? Because um, I well, think sometimes we all think that there's nothing we can do. Sure. Well, I think there are things that that uh, 
individuals can do. Uh, for one thing, obviously, not everyone knows about this research. Um, so I think it's good for people to tell others uh, about the research that we are doing. And of course, if any individuals want information on this uh, from our Alzheimer's Center, they can certainly call us. Uh, I'll give you our 800 number. We also have a website. Uh, our 800 number is 800-229-2872. That's 800-229-2872. Also, we have a website, uh, www alzheimersinfo.org uh, so it's spelled www.alzheimersinfo.org and there's no apostrophe uh, in that so we, we have that we also have a um, Facebook page uh, which unfortunately I don't remember <laughs> exactly how you find it but if you look up uh, Alzheimer's Research Center and uh, my name, uh, William H. Fry, F-R-E-Y the second, you'll probably find us on Facebook as well. So if you contact us, we can send you more information about the work we're doing. Of course, we are a nonprofit. Uh, we're part of a larger nonprofit research foundation, and we certainly appreciate donations, bequests, uh, and 93% and of the money we, we receive goes directly into the research. Uh, that's a very high percentage. I think if you check with other nonprofits, you'll find that's quite good. Uh, and so, of course, we, we certainly uh, help with that. But also, it is good to tell other people about this because there's a lot of um, physicians who've never heard of this. Uh, and there are a lot of other groups involved with Alzheimer's who, have not, who are not familiar with what, what we have found. And I also want to say that, you know, it isn't just the intranasal insulin that uh, we have developed. We have a completely different treatment that we're also working on. Uh, I mentioned to you earlier that people with Alzheimer's not only have a brain deficiency of insulin, but that the brains of Alzheimer's patients abnormally accumulate iron, and the iron can damage the memory receptor in, in our brains. Uh, we've, we have shown that. And so we are now also developing an intranasal iron-binding treatment, an iron-binding drug, uh, which we give intranasally. This drug um, is called deferoxamine, it has been around a long time. It's also a generic drug, very inexpensive drug. Uh, and we are developing it intranasally as another way to approach treating Alzheimer's. Uh, this drug was given in a clinical trial to Alzheimer patients uh, many years ago, back in 1991, as a matter of fact. And the results were published in the Lancet, a medical journal, showing that people who got this drug um, their, their cognitive decline uh, was reduced by 50% over a two-year period. That's a very big improvement, and it's a far bigger beneficial effect than any of the drugs currently on the market uh, that are available uh, for treating patients. The problem was that back in 1991, there were also some side effects and problems with delivering this drug 
the way it was being given, which was by intramuscular injection. So we are now developing it by giving it intranasally, where we believe that it will be not only safer and have fewer side effects, but uh, actually be more effective. Now, that has not been proven yet. Uh, that will require many clinical trials, uh, and we have our work cut out for us there. So, uh, But we are doing work now on that treatment, and we have received some help from the National Institutes of Aging here in the United States because they are also excited about that new treatment uh, and are helping us put together a... Uh, a package to go to the Food and Drug Administration to seek their approval to do clinical trials uh, with this iron-binding drug given intranasally. Uh, we also have found that we can deliver stem cells to the brain intranasally, and we've shown just this year that, that adult stem cells, uh, these are stem cells taken from the bone marrow from adults, that these stem cells are effective in treating animals with Parkinson's disease. Um, a group in the Netherlands, uh, ha who I actually met with uh, just uh, in the last week, uh, they have shown, uh, this is Dr. Cindy von Veldhoven and her group in the Netherlands, they've shown that, that our intranasal stem cell treatment is also effective in treating um, uh, neonatal ischemia, so, and they've done their studies in, in very young uh, rats and mice uh, as well. So these, these stem cell treatments have not been done in humans yet. They are just still in the testing stage in animals, but we're quite excited about these, and we hope uh, that these someday may also be useful for treating Alzheimer's and stroke and uh, not just Parkinson's, uh, you know, but other kinds of disorders. Wow. Very, very exciting times. While you were talking, I, I got on the computer to find out what your Facebook name is, and it's the Alzheimer's Research Center, um, and there's an apostrophe in Alzheimer's, slash Center for Dementia and Alzheimer's Care um, is the name. So if you put in Alzheimer's Research Center, it probably will pop up on Facebook if people want to get to you and like. Now, um, Bill, I have to ask you, you know, you're talking about people sharing this information. Do you know, and, and maybe you don't, but do you know if on your website, do you have articles that are available where people can share them so they can go and they can read them and maybe they could post it on their Facebook page or be able to email it out to friends or family or colleagues. I mean, I, I'm just thinking... Well, we do, <clears throat> Lori, we do have, I know on our Facebook page, we have videos uh, of, of me talking about the intranasal insulin treatment uh, and also talking about how, how, what the advantages are of this method of delivery and of using intranasal insulin for Alzheimer's. Um, I'm not sure whether we actually have the scientific clinical trial papers um, posted there, but I think people will find them if they simply Google uh, intranasal insulin and, al and the word Alzheimer's. Uh, they will probably okay. find those clinical trial papers where the results are shown from these clinical trials very quickly, or intranasal insulin improves memory. I'm sure if they put that in, they will find some of these trials as well. 
Wonderful. Well, that's that's great to know um, because people are always digging for information and sure. and what's there. And so I'm thinking if there's a way that that myself and the listeners can help with that, um, we right. would love to love to be able to do that because, again, bottom line, none of us is is doing anything alone. We've we've got to work together and we've got to be we do. collaborative. In terms of uh, in terms of a plan here, um, I, I think the stem cell stuff is very exciting um, as well. So, so what's the next step? Are there any trials that people can partake in at this well, point? Well, yes, like, there. You know, there. <clears throat> the 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 reason <clears throat> the diff, it's difficult in a way. Um, there is a website that is called uh, clinicaltrials.gov. So it's I think www.clinicaltrials one word .gov. That is a government website that lists the <clears throat> clinical trials that are currently underway for uh, new treatments. Uh, and you can look in there under Alzheimer's, and you will see, for example, that we are doing a clinical trial right now in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, this particular clinical trial that we're doing now is a very small trial. We're really <clears throat> carrying this out to test uh, for the effectiveness of a different type of insulin than the ones that than the insulins that have been used in the earlier trials. We're also testing a different kind of nasal spray device and some other things. And there are only going to be uh, 12 patients in this particular trial. So. Uh, you know, whenever you're thinking about a clinical trial, it's pretty hard to be in a clinical trial if you don't live in the city where the trial is being done because you have to periodically, you know, come in for testing and assessment um, and because you're going to be very closely followed while you're in the clinical trial. Um, we Once this particular trial is done, however, we expect to do a much larger clinical trial, and in fact, one of the reasons we are raising money right now is to pay for that next clinical trial. Uh, so we got enough money to pay for the small one, but um, you know, which will be the fourth intranasal insulin clinical trial conducted. The other three are already published, but we, uh, we're, we want to do a much larger one, and for that, that's why we are raising money. Uh, but there may be people in other cities that are conducting clinical trials as well, and generally you can find that out by going to this website, uh, clinicaltrials.gov. Lori? Oh, sorry. I had put myself on mute by accident. Oh, that's <laughs> quite all right. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to mention was that the Alzheimer's Research Center is one of the collaborators um, along with the, <clears throat> the Center for Dementia and Alzheimer's Care and ACR Healthcare Group uh, and myself for JR, uh, J. Arthur's Memory Cafe. So I want to thank you guys so much for your participation in um, in getting that off the ground, the social support group, because people are absolutely loving that. We had five new people show up last week. That well, that's great. And I'm looking forward to coming sometime to the cafe and talking with people there. Yeah, it's it's very fun. It's very casual, and 
you know, for the most part at this point, we haven't done anything programmatic because people just really want to sit and chat and be normal and um, meet new friends. And um, sometimes we play Wii Bowling or um, we'll play Yahtzee or something. But it's just nice to be able to feel like you fit again. And exactly. that is one of the disease tends to take away from people, which is too bad. So I want to thank you guys for your efforts there. I also wanted to mention while we had you on the line that you work closely with the Minnesota Memory Project. Um, we do. That, <clears throat> that is actually one of our projects that we started. It was started by Dr. Leah Hansen, who is the co-director with me at the uh, Alzheimer's Research Center in St. Paul, Minnesota. And um, that is something that certainly people can also participate in. Uh, we, have, we have a lot of people who are participating in the Minnesota Memory Project. And the people participating are, uh, m- most of them are probably people who have nothing wrong with their memory. Uh, they are simply participating as, in the project uh, as, and, and being tested and having, uh, giving feedback as they age so that we can learn more about what happens with, with all of us as we age, uh, what are the lifestyle uh, uh, aspects uh, that might affect uh, or influence our uh, cognitive abilities and memory. So, for example, to what extent does diet or exercise uh, or social, uh, so staying socially active or mentally active uh, to what extent do these things uh, impact our uh, cognition and memory as we age? So this is a very important project uh, that Dr. Leah Hansen has started. And anyone who's interested in this um, can certainly contact our Alzheimer's Center uh, by calling 800-229-2872 or by contacting us um, through our uh, Facebook page or through our website at um, alzheimersinfo.org. Wonderful. And I have to just let everybody know, I am actually um, one of the people in the Minnesota Memory Project. In fact, I go in Monday for my retesting again. And I I still haven't finished my paperwork yet, but I'll have that all (laughs) ready and go in for the testing. And it was something that that was... um, really kind of an interesting process for me because with mom having it, you know, you kind of worry um, in the back of your mind, even though I try not to focus on that, what about, you know, if I have it? And I thought, you know what, I have to walk my talk. I have to be brave enough to find out if there is a problem um, and be prepared to deal with it. I can't just, I I can't tell other people that that's a good thing. Well, that's so important, and I'm, Lori, I am so glad that you said that because, you know, I have had friends who uh, feel that there's something wrong with their memory, but they're too afraid to look into it. And let me tell you the danger in that. Maybe there is something wrong with your memory, but what if what's wrong with you is that you have a thyroid hormone deficiency that's correctable simply by taking a pill? Or what if what's wrong with you is that you have a B12, vitamin B12 deficiency that, again, could be treated by B12 injections? You, you don't want to just deteriorate without treating something that's treatable. Um, I, had a, I have a very good friend who finally went in because she was so concerned about her uh, memory and attention, et cetera. And 
she found out in her case that uh, she that her problems were actually caused by attention deficit disorder, and you know she knew that when she was young she had attention deficit disorder, but after she had gotten much older she sort of forgot about all that, thinking well that's just something that happens to me when I was a kid, uh, and you know it. But she was so frightened to go in to see someone and actually get evaluated. And I know now that she's very happy that she went in. She doesn't have Alzheimer's. And she, I hope, is uh, getting help for her attention deficit disorder. <laughs> so I think that, you know, all of us uh, are worried when we get older and we, you know, forget where we put the car keys or something. But, you know, uh, everyone forgets some things. But once you start to become really concerned about it, that's the time to go in, see a neurologist or someone who really is knowledgeable about these diseases, perhaps to get uh, what's called neuropsychometric testing, which we do at our Center for Dementia and Alzheimer Care. Uh, we have uh, a Dr. Terry Barclay, who's just terrific at doing this kind of assessment. And, and, uh, and people can find uh, resources to have all of these things done in their own cities, too. Well, that's wonderful. And I, I'm a firm believer because I am so active. Um, I mean, I, this has become my life's work now. And I, I see the difference that can be made when there's early diagnosis. And I'm watching and listening to the creative ways to improve dementia care uh, culture in the world. And that's one of the reasons I, I started the radio show and do the work that I do. And so it's like I... You know, I had to get over that fear of what if, um, it, because it's, it's a critical piece um, that we, we all have to recognize and we have to stop being embarrassed and remove this stigma because the odds of us getting it are pretty high um, at this stage of the game. But there are so many people like yourself and so many others out there making significant um, headway and, you know, giving voice to this disease you know, I, I don't think it's something that we need to be afraid of. We need to just address it and live our lives smartly um, and um, and move forward. So I I highly recommend people get involved in that project. Now, people can be out of Minnesota um, if they're willing to come in once a year for um, the testing, correct, for the Minnesota um, Memory Project? I believe that's true, but you know, um, I think it would be better if they contacted our center and um, uh, spoke to someone there who knows really what what uh, how often that occurs and things like that. Okay, okay, doke. And then the other um, thing that I, I want to make sure that we mention is your brain bank and how do people oh, sure. get involved with that? Because again, that's something I signed up for for myself and for my mom who is in right. her end stages. Um, but can you right. explain the brain bank and, and well, what? Well, sure. We have uh, one of the world's largest dementia brain banks with over 2,000 cases of uh, of people who have died from Alzheimer's disease and from other kinds of dementing illness. Uh, many people may know that you know there isn't a blood test for Alzheimer's disease. It's very difficult to to know for sure that a person has Alzheimer's when they're living. And sometimes there are other diseases that can sort of masquerade as Alzheimer's. So particularly in, uh, in families where there's concern about a possible um, family history or genetic risk for dementing illness, 
uh, many families will arrange with us um, well in advance of the death of their relative who has dementia to have an autopsy done. Now, this is a, uh, a, a, not, a not a cheap process. It probably costs for people that live in the Twin Cities, um, I, I forget the exact amount, but um, uh, let's just say it's somewhere around maybe $850. I don't know the exact amount. For people who live in other states uh, within the United States, we've also have arranged autopsies for people in Alaska and Florida and Arizona and New York, everywhere. Uh, and uh, those can be, uh, th the price can depend, but it can be somewhere in that range, I'm guessing, maybe a little more. But the advantage of doing it is that um, you actually have, after death, it's already prearranged and you have someone go out uh, and remove the brain from your relative before the funeral and before they're buried. And the brain is shipped to our center where the neuropathologist at the University of Minnesota very carefully examines the brain and looks to find out not just whether the individual had Alzheimer's, but what disease did they have? Maybe it's not Alzheimer's. Maybe it's a frontal temporal dementia, or maybe it's Lewy body disease, or maybe it's a vascular dementia or some other kind of illness. And that way, uh, the report then can go to the family, and the family knows that should the person who died, should they have a brother or sister that later develops a similar disease, or should they have a child that later starts to develop a memory problems or other problems, at least they know what the disease is in the family, what family history is there. It doesn't mean that a relative will necessarily have the same disease, but at least you have some idea of your family history and what disease you might be dealing with. So, um, you know, we're not uh, trying to drum up business here, uh, but if people do have a major concern and they want help with setting up a neuropathology diagnosis uh, and brain autopsy of this sort, then, of course, they should contact our Alzheimer's Center, and we can help them with it uh, so long as they are somewhere within the... Uh, uh, continental United States. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for all the time you spent with us, Dr. Fry. I, I just, uh, I, I love talking with you. I always learn something new, and you are so positive and upbeat, and really making some headway. So, again, thank you for all all you do. Is there any last closing statements that you want to say to our listeners at all? Uh, no, just that, you know, Alzheimer's is not an incurable disease. It's just a disease that we haven't found the cure for yet. And we need to be doing the same thing that was done with polio. We need to all work together to develop new ways to treat and prevent this disease. And I think the intranasal insulin treatment that we have invented and that we are testing uh, that this is just the first step in doing that. And I appreciate your listeners uh, for their help, their support, and uh, obviously their attention. Great. And do you want to give your website and phone number out one more time? And Sure. The phone number is 800-229-2872. 800-229-2872. And the website, www dot alzheimer's info a l z h e i m e r s i n f o dot o r g 
Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Fry, and you have a wonderful day. Okay? Thank you, Lori. Bye now. Bye-bye. Uh, next um, uh, on the show with us today is we are going to be talking about a contest. And so today I have with us David uh, Edelman and Claire Day. Uh, David is a, the founder and CEO of Real Tribute the premier producer of high-end personal history documentaries. And he founded Real Tributes after his grandmother passed away and his mother made an amazing film about their family. Prior to founding Real Tributes, David received his Master's in Business Administration from the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School, where he majored in entrepreneurial management. David graduated as a Palmer Scholar, and that is 5% of his graduating class, and was selected as Wharton McGowan Fellow. He serves on the advisory board of Boston International as a nonprofit um, that he co-founded. And before Wharton, David was an associate with Charles Bank Capital Partners, a middle market private equity firm in Boston. And so he's got just this great background. And um, David, how are you doing today? Very well, thank you. How are you doing, Lori? That's good. It sounds like you might be on speakerphone. If you can take us off speakerphone, that would be really helpful. We're getting oh, a little... uh, I'm I'm actually not on speakerphone. Is it is it is the reception not oh, good? No. Nope, it's better now. It's better now. So that's wonderful. Okay, um, great. And then. Um, I'll go ahead and introduce, uh, do a short introduction on Claire here, and then I'll let you two uh, tell us about the contest and all the exciting news here. Claire Day um, has been on staff at the Alzheimer's Association Delaware Valley Chapter since 2001, and she's the Vice President of Constituent Services. Um, she and her highly trained staff coordinate and deliver community social services um, in the form of education, support, advocacy, and care management to people with dementia and their families, and um, as well as to professional caregivers as well. Uh, Ms. Day's career in the chapter has been focused on both special events and programs and service delivery, including the expansion of support groups and early stage social programming, which is just kind of a core to my heart. Claire is a clinical social worker, and prior to joining the Alzheimer's Association, she worked in long-term care um, as a patient and family advocate. So welcome, Claire. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for being part of the show. I'm very excited to hear about this contest. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to let David go ahead and kind of announce it, and then we'll do a little ping-ponging back and forth. And... Um, if we've got any questions uh, from our audience, I will, I will also pull them in as well. So, David, can you tell us a little bit about this contest? And Absolutely. Um, so the contest, as uh, Lori mentioned, is called the Your Favorite Memory Contest. Um, and what it does is we're trying to encourage families um, to record their stories of um, a loved one with Alzheimer's or dementia. And so um, it's very simple. Uh, there's a website, www realtributes.com slash memory um, where the family goes onto the website and just types in a very short story about their favorite memory of the family member um, suffering from Alzheimer's. 
Um, what then is going to happen is we're going to open it up to a vote, and so everybody will get their family and friends involved and vote online um, for the best stories. And um, the five stories that get the most votes qualify for the final round, where we actually have a panel of judges reading those five stories and picking um, the winners. Um, so that's the, at a high level, that's the contest. Uh, we have some great prizes as well, um, just in case writing the story isn't uh, enough incentive for the families. Um, we also have um, the grand prize is a family history film um, from Real Tributes, and other prizes include a um, dinner for four at La Croix, which is one of the um, finest restaurants in Philadelphia, as well as the restaurant at the Ritz-Carlton um, a stay we can stay at the Four Seasons Hotel in Philadelphia, and a massage for four family members at Massage Envy. So a lot of great prizes to uh, to get hopefully families interested in um, in recording their stories. Well, David, how did you did you initiate this um, this contest and then pull others in to collaborate? Is that how it started, or? It, it did. It was uh, really a, a initially a collaboration between uh, Claire and the Alzheimer's Association um, and Real Tribute. So the two of us initiated the contest, and then we got other sponsors involved. Wonderful. Well, very exciting. Now, can anybody in the world um, do this, or is it just for people in Delaware? So initially, uh, it's only for people that um, the person with Alzheimer's has to be within um, a 50-mile radius of Philadelphia. So it's a local contest, but what we're hoping, since this is the first one we're doing, um, is a kind of a what I'd call a trial run. And if we get a lot of interest, which we're, we're hoping we will over the next six weeks, uh, what we'd like to do is, is broaden this out to all over the world. Um, there's no reason why it should only be located in Philadelphia other than uh, the fact that we're there and Claire is um, the vice president of the Alzheimer's Association, Delaware Valley, which is based in Philadelphia. So starting out is local, but we're hoping to, to really make this a much larger uh, contest in the future. Wonderful. Now, Claire, um, I guess what were your thoughts in terms of getting this going? I know it sounds like you were really into the social support and, and causes and stuff. What made you think this is a good idea? Well, you know, as as you said earlier, I've been I've been working with people with dementia for, you know, 17 years and you know, one of the things that I think families always regret is the I should have. I I should have made a video when when my mom was able to tell stories. I should have had her identify loved ones in pictures. I should have had her tell our family story over and over and over again because now she can't and she was the key or he was the key, you know, that, that one family historian that has all that knowledge. And so, of course, when I first met uh, David and, and the, the, um, the great folks at Real Tributes, that was my first thought was this is perfect for people in the earliest stages of the disease because that is the, the time where they have the opportunity to write their own story and, and really be an active part of it and leave a legacy for generations to come of who the person was. Uh, one of the things that we've done when, when you go onto the website is that you'll see a little video that, um, that David and his staff have put together, and one of our early stage advisors is in it, and, and she says it perfectly that 
she doesn't want her grandchildren's memory to be of her not remembering them. She wants them to know who she was, what she did, what she was as a productive member of society. And so for 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 us at the Alzheimer's Association, there's no greater gift than being able to give families that legacy from the person because the disease is as you as you've heard Dr. Fry talk about is so full of losses. Uh, everything is is about losing memory, losing abilities that you know this is a way for us to give a little piece back. Well, it's wonderful and I I think capturing story is so important. That's kind of how I got started with all of this, even with my mom's journey, is mm-hmm. I started um, telling stories, and people said, you need to write them um, as well. And so then I, I I was told I should write a book, and I know that I won't finish it until my mom passes, because I, I think this is her whole journey. But I have just a ton of stories that I've written, and then I put on the blog, and then I, I realized um, from the response from others, it's like, this this matters not only to me in terms of recording it in my family, but it it is ways to help others, and um, it, it, the messages can be so powerful in the moments, so precious, and it is one of the greatest fears that I think both the person with the disease and um, those that love them fear the loss of those moments, and so to capture them you know, on film, in writing, you know, whatever way you can, I think is is just huge. So I love this project. I think it's um, absolutely a a fantastic route to go. Now, how long um, of of a time frame do people have to enter the contest and what exactly do they need to do to enter it? And um, David, I'll go ahead and let you answer that question. Sure. So um, we're giving uh, families plenty of time to think about their stories and, and write their stories down. So the contest runs between – we kicked off yesterday, actually, is the first day, um, and it is open until January 4th. So plenty of time to, to get together um, over the Thanksgiving holidays or Christmas holidays um, and think about uh, the stories. Um, the process – so I'll go in a little bit more detail on how a family would, would enter the contest – um, the first thing is the story, um, everything is done online. And so the um, the website, as I mentioned, is www.realreeltributes.com backslash memory. And that will take you to the contest page. And all the rules and, and everything are um, there on that page. Um, a few things that, to keep in mind, the, sh- the stories uh, are short. So we don't want, you know, it's not, uh, we're not asking anybody to write a, a novel here. Um, it's the range is anywhere from 100 words to 500 words, um, so short and sweet. And then actually each entry has a, what we call a tweet summary, so um, in the spirit of Twitter, a very short um, summary of, of the story in case people who are voting are, um, have a short attention span and just want to see the summary of the story. So uh, they write the story down, they put it on this website, um, we will. We have to approve them just to make sure that the stories fall into the, the guidelines. And then um, once we open it up for a vote, everybody around the world can see the stories. They won't see the names or anything associated with the stories, but they'll be able to read the story itself um, and vote. So they can come back and vote once a day uh, if they like. Um, and that process of voting starts on January 4th and goes until um, mid-January, so a couple weeks to vote. 
and then um, the last couple of weeks in January, um, we'll have the judges picking the winners. Okay. Now, do you guys have a Facebook page at all? It does. So the the Facebook page um, is it's actually on the Real Tributes Facebook page. Um, there's a tab called Your Favorite Memory, um, and that has all the information. And this contest is actually kind of hosted on Facebook, so it's a um, Facebook application we're using to to run the contest. But if people want to check out the Facebook page, they can see um, again it's Real Tributes. They can just search for that in in Facebook, and they'll see the the contest information. Okay, and can you, and real is R-E-E-L, because of real films, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that that's what the exactly, deal is. Exactly, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, so just so uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and like you right now. I don't, I can't remember if I did that or not. So, um, yeah, your website is very, is very fun, and it looks like there's all different types of categories, um, and it looks pretty simple for people to be able to participate in, which is, which is great. Now, um, I'm going to throw this back to um, Claire. When you approach, you know, some of the other sponsors of this, you know, the the um, the, the Four Seasons and the Ritz Carlton, and it looks like Rittenhouse Hotel and Massage Envy. What kind of response did you get from them? Um, did you have to massage that, or or did they jump right in? Well, and actually, I should probably let David um, David answer that because he worked uh, more closely with some of those um, sponsors. I've been working more on the on the family side of them. Um, so, David, I'm going to throw that actually back to you, so I don't say the wrong thing. Okay. Sure. So, yeah, that that um, that's a great question. We I think what what really helped in this case is uh, we actually had a letter that Claire wrote um, from the Alzheimer's Association explaining the contest and why this is so important and so valuable for them. And so when we approached the sponsors, um, the information we sent them was this very short letter. Um, and the the one that signed on needed surprisingly little massaging. So we, um, you know, we obviously called more sponsors than just the four that we ended up working with. Um, but the, those four within a matter of, um, probably the longest it took any of them was three days uh, to get back to us, and they were all very excited about about working on this. I think it's it's one of those things where um, generally most people know somebody that suffers from Alzheimer's or somebody that's a care caregiver, and so it I think it, it makes it a little bit easier um, to get people involved in, in something like this because it's so prevalent. And David, I'll just add. I think that's that is so true. I think you know we find so many times, and we we've got so many wonderful corporate supporters um, that uh, you know they really do see the value of, of the work that we're doing. And and I think what you said, David, was so important that you know, unfortunately, everybody does know someone that knows someone that has this disease, and that's because those statistics don't lie. And and this is a you know, pending health crisis for our for the nation, for our healthcare system, and so the more we can do things like this that really brings a positive awareness to the disease, uh, the better off um, the better off we're going to do in helping you know get more research, get more of those things that Dr. Fry was talking about, because you know, getting the funding to do all the research is going to help us get to a cure is what's vital. Uh, definitely, and and I, I love. You know the whole compassionate side of this because this is 
this is something that can um, soothe the souls. And even though the statistics are high on the disease, they're probably just a blimp on the radar compared to all the people that aren't diagnosed as well. And so I think it's very true when you say just about everybody is touched by this disease. I know when I go and speak and train, that's one of the questions I ask um, to just about any audience, and it isn't always Alzheimer's related. Um, And I would say 99% of the audience is touched, and they look around and they're just shocked um, by those numbers of, of their peers. And so I think that that's very, very important there. Um, now, as far as uh, press goes, are they really helping you get the word out um, in terms of local news and, and print and things? Um, how is that going for the project? Um, you know, I'll, I'll let Claire answer. We actually uh, were kind of in the early stages of doing that, and I think Claire will probably have a, a good yeah, we are. We're just sort of starting our marketing campaign from our chapter, um, and we, so I don't really have a great answer other than we really hope that um, it is one that's positive and appealing, which is usually a nice uh, a nice thing that, that media outlets look for. It's a, it makes a nice story, um, and it tells a nice story. So we're, we're really hopeful that we're going to get some nice media buzz in, in the you know, sort of greater Philadelphia area. Good, good, and I, you know, I would love to see it picked up by, you know, just not in in, in Philadelphia, but throughout the country um, as a pilot program, showing initiative and creativity in terms of um, how do we how do we care and how do we support these families um, dealing with this dementia. So I, uh, like I said, I'll do everything in my power to to help push you guys out to the world um, via social media because um, that's kind of my forte here. But um, and it looks like, you know, from your website, you've got you've been on some various things, which are great. And um, I would imagine those, if listeners want, um, can go ahead and share on, your, um, on Facebook with their friends and families and um, coworkers and stuff, too. So I really encourage, you know, our listeners to be active and like these programs because, you know, we all have a voice and we can all make a difference when we're working together with this. Um, David, is there anything else that you want to tell us about the program? Um, I think we've covered most important things. I think, you know, just to reiterate some of the things we already talked about, I think the most important thing is just that whether it's through this or in other means, um, and the, the main reason why Claire and I are so passionate about it is just that we want to encourage families to to do more um, in the world of storytelling and, and recording their, their stories and their memories together. Um, and so Thanksgiving coming up next week is a really great opportunity um, to start that dialogue and to do more because, um, you know, we, we were a few weeks ago at the, uh, the walk to end Alzheimer's in Philadelphia and the real tribute team was there talking to families and without fail, every single one of them we talked to said the same thing, which is, um, you know, it's too late. I should have done more. I really kicked myself for not doing more to record uh, my father or my mother's stories. Um, and so that's something that we were hoping um, this contest raises awareness for the importance of recording those stories and for families to, to do more while they still can. And I, I totally agree. You know, I did uh, a video clip, or I should say a, um, 
and it was just a homemade little job, you know, nothing nothing too exciting of a music therapist with my mom and then another one where a friend just came in and sang and then another one with a musician that came in and sang. And I have those on my YouTube channel in small clips. And I cannot believe the hits that that those get because it shows the joy even with my mom in her end stages. And they're so powerful. Um, I've actually gone to conferences where all of a sudden they see my mom on the screen and somebody's using it as an example. But it's just beautiful. And for me, like when I captured that for my mom, if I'm having a bad day, I just play one of those clips and it pulls me out of it because it just, I I just feel her love and her joy. And it's just a wonderful thing that I'll always, always have. So there's so many ways um, to be able to capture the moments. And I think it's great that you guys are are helping people see um, what that can do uh, for them as a whole. And then to be able to win a professionally done um, documentary um, little film, I think that is, that's just kind of a cat's meow there. So that's pretty cool. Um, Claire, do you have anything else that you would like to add? Um, yeah, I just think, I think just following up on on what you said there, um, I think just um, one of the things that's uh, really a true mission of our organization now, uh, you know, is just really enhancing our early stage services. You know, when I first got involved with the Alzheimer's Association, you know, we were primarily a caregiver-driven organization. We we supported caregivers, and we still do that, and that's still such a valuable piece. Yet now, through better diagnostic tools, better services that are out there, people are recognizing those signs earlier and earlier, and they're doing something about it, and they're being you know, proactive about their own, own diagnosis, and we've got to be able to have those services in place to really support the person who's going through those early stages, because no one understands that except other people. And so, you know, just providing more opportunities so that um, all families and people with the disease can sort of be empowered to do more. Well, that's great, because it is it is not a disease of a single person. It's a disease mm-hmm. of society, and it's a, it's a mind shift that, we, that has to be changed, um, in my opinion, in terms of the perceptions and we've got to remove the fear so people can feel comfortable living their lives Absolutely. and being productive. I think more and more, especially with the early diagnosis, I think we're going to have a ton of people like my mom who have had this disease. You know, we clinically we don't know how long she's had it. She didn't get diagnosed till the mid '90s, but she's had memory problems for 30 years, and she's now yeah. 83. And I know for sure, um, uh, you know, just my gut by her mid 60s for sure. She um, had probably formal um, Alzheimer's, but in the beginning it may have been more of a, um, you know, depression even, you know, because that can be so mixed. But this is not a disease for most that's just going to go away. So we have to learn how to live with it together and support not only the patient, but the families and, you know, the companies and the kids. I mean, the neighbors, everybody's got to chip in and, um and understand this disease and, and and just to remove the fear from it because we're not going to be able to help people if they're in this fear this fear mode. Um, and so I think that the compassionate side is really coming together and people are talking about it so much more. And I, I love that the Alzheimer's Association has 
really changed the face of this disease to show that this is not just an old person's disease anymore, which so many thought it was um, because we're getting so many early onset people now. And so I, I, I think, you know, I know it's an uphill battle in terms of educating people, but um, we've come a long, long ways, and um, we just have to continue um, to work together as a tribe um, to do what's right. So I thank you both so much for your efforts. David, if you want to give us the contact information again for the contest, that would be wonderful. Sure. So the website is www.real, that's R-E-E-L, tribute, T-R-I-B-U-T-E-S, dot com, and backslash memory, M-E-M-O-R-Y. Um, that will redirect you to uh, the contest page. Um, if you visit uh, realtributes.com, just our homepage, you can also enter that way. There's a um, little bar at the bottom of the homepage, very blue bar that says enter the contest, and you just click on that, um, and you can enter. Um, and you can also, while you're there at realtributes.com, see some of the videos that we've produced um, for families just to get a sense for what kind of um, the prize that the, the grand prize winner will receive. Um, and if, if you have any questions for me, my email address is Adelman, A-D-E-L-M-A-N, at real, R-E-E-L, tributes.com. Wonderful. And Claire, do you want to give any contact information out for yourself? Sure. I think the most important for, thing for people is uh, our nationwide website, which is www.alz.org. And we also have a 24-7 helpline uh, for families or people who have been recently diagnosed at 800-272-3900. And that's available anywhere in the country. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for both being with us today. I appreciate all you are doing. Um, again, this is David Edelman and Claire Day, and they have a fantastic uh, contest going on, and I highly urge you to be part of it. You can't miss the blue bar when you go to Real Tributes, and again, Real Tributes is R-E-E-L um, when you go to find them. So thank you both for being with us today. In closing, I just, again, want to thank all of our listeners, and I hope that you help us spread the word of Alzheimer's Speaks radio show so that we can get the voices out to the people in need. So people can hear uh, Dr. Bill Fry. They can hear what David and Claire are up to with their legacy project. It's important for us to work together as a team. Our upcoming shows, um, we have some fun ones coming up. On December 2nd, we are going to have Rock Leola, and he is with the Alzheimer's Research um, over in Harvard, so we're going to have another researcher. And then on December 6th, we'll have Uda Lugvig, and she has the Alzheimer's Cafes, um, and so she will be talking about that. And then on the 13th, um, we're going to have Mark Wartman, the Executive Director for Alzheimer's Disease International. And so we've got a lot of fun things coming up. I hope that you partake with us. And please keep in mind, if you're memory impaired or if you're interested in sharing your story with the world 
or maybe you've got a business or a concept that you think can improve the lives of those living with dementia, please reach reach out to me because I would love to talk with you further and maybe you can be one of our next guests. I hope you decide to join Alzheimer's Speaks Radio and become an advocate on steroids for the disease by speaking out and giving voice so others may learn. This is a journey that we are on together. And in closing, I'm just going to read something that I got today in my emails. Um, and I just thought it was a very, um, very poignant. And it's called The Ripple Effect. And I got it from the Daily OM. Um, and it says, your thoughts and actions are like stones dropped into still waters, causing ripples to spread as they move outward. In a world of 6 billion people, it's easy to believe that the only way to initiate profound transformation is to take extreme actions. Each of us, however, carries within us the capacity to change the world in small ways for better or worse. Everything we do and think affects the people in our lives and their reactions in turn affect others. As the effect of the seemingly insignificant word passes from person to person, its impact grows and can become a great joy, inspiration, anxiety, or pain. Your thoughts and your actions are like stones dropped into still waters, causing ripples to spread and expand as they move outward. The impact you have on the world is greater than you could ever imagine, and the choices you make can have far-reaching consequences. You can use the ripple effect to make a positive difference and spread waves of kindness that will wash over the world. And with that, I'll close. I hope you decide to throw your pebble into the still waters. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families, too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.